is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. A Victorian-era artist named C.H. Watts was the central piece of a sermon delivered by Jeremiah Wright in Illinois on, in 1990. Uh, and it was, that particular service was attended by, not the future, then, President Barack Obama. And he said that the, the sermon that he delivered that day pointed him toward a painting, which he considers to be one of his favorite paintings, by Watts called Hope. And here's what Jeremiah Wright, according to Barack Obama, said that day. The painting depicts a harpist... A woman who at first glance appears to be sitting atop a great mountain until you take a closer look and see that the woman is bruised and bloody, dressed in tattered rags. The harp she holds reduced to a single frayed string. Your eye is then drawn down to the scene below, down to the valley below, where everywhere are the ravages of famine the drumbeat of war, a world groaning under strife and deprivation. It is this world, a world where cruise ships throw away more food in a day than most residents of Port-au-Prince see in a year, where white folks' greed runs a world in need, ruins a world in need. Apartheid is one hemisphere, apathy in another hemisphere. That's the world on which hope sits. And yet consider once again the painting before us. Hope, like Hannah, this harpist is looking upwards. A few faint tones floating upwards towards the heaven. She dares to hope. She has the audacity to make music and to praise God on the one string she has left. And it was this speech that gave uh, Barack Obama 
the title of his next book uh, after uh, Dreams of My Father, uh, The Audacity of Hope. And I give you permission today, to, if you've got your phone, go ahead and look up this painting called Hope by, uh, by uh, G.F. Uh, Watts, I should say. Uh, it's a pretty striking painting. And indeed, it's Paul's desire to offer us this kind of resilient hope in the passage we read today. Paul begins, begins with therefore. It means there's a whole bunch of, uh, of argument or, or case was being made beforehand. So I invite you to read chapter 4 if you want to know what the therefore is all about. But the, Paul says, therefore, since we are justified before God. And, and what this means is that basically Paul is saying that we are at peace with God. We have, we have a right relationship by faith, Paul says. We have a right relationship with God. Not by the things that we do. Not by the people we're born to or the family we're born to. Not by the money we have. Not by our status in the community. Not by how healthy and wonderful we are. Not even by the good things we do. And not even by going to church every Sunday. Not even by uh, uh, praying 20 times a day. Not even by giving away our money. We are right before God. Not even because of anything we have done, but because of of Christ's faithfulness and our faith. Amen? It's not even so much that... I, I, I know we do this thing in the church where we, <laughs> where we kind of talk out both, both sides of our mouth. We kind of say, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, those kinds of things. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. But then we... Then we and it's unconditional and just... And just given. But then we kind of make it sound like you have to do something. Oh, but you have to do, pray the sinner's prayer, or you have to join the right church, you have to believe the right things. But I think what Paul really is saying, because he doesn't necessarily attribute this to your faith, what Paul seems to be saying in Romans is that it is all what God has done. Not what you've done. It's what God has done. And what God has done is to say, you know what? There's nothing wrong here. Nothing wrong on my end. We are right. You know, have you ever had that friend that you've gotten in a fight with or something has gone bad and you're scared to talk to that friend? You know, there's all that tension is there before that. And it's only when you can finally muster up the courage to go to that friend and go, you know, uh, I'm really feeling bad about all these things we we've done, you know, the things that happened before us. And that friend does this gift, gives you this gift of saying, you know what? We're good. On this end, I'm not holding the grudge. I'm not holding on to that. You and I are fine. And then you realize that for three months, you've been holding on. <laughs> you know what? I think our relationship with God is kind of like that. We hold on to our guilt. We hold on to our shame. We look in the mirror and say, how can God love this? And we think ourselves unworthy. And we start looking at ourselves and going, people have said this and this and this about me. They must be speaking for God. And Lord help us, sometimes people from the pulpit have done exactly that. Said they're speaking for God and told you, you're unworthy, you're ugly, you're unacceptable. 
you need to change, you need to fix it, you need to do this, 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 and this. But Paul seems to be saying, you know what, on God's side, I don't care what anyone says, you are righteous, you are wonderful, you are saint, it's only yourself that sees yourself as sinners and unworthy. And we hang on to that guilt and that shame. And I know we get a lot of help sometimes from our friends, but we hang on to that guilt and that shame. It seems like God, in this wonderful act of bringing Jesus Christ to us, seems to be begging us to hear God say, I love you just the way I made you. And if there's changes that need to be made or whatever, we'll get there. But I love you. My first place you are in is you're all right with me. You have nothing to prove to me. We are good. And Paul goes on to be saying that the result of that relationship, the result of God's Willingness to, to, to love us beyond what we can even imagine or understand. That God's desire to be in deep and abiding relationship that transcends all of the awful things we do. And I'm not saying we're wonderful people. I know, I've, you know, you've told me some of the stuff you've been up to and it's shameful. But <laughs> God, God says, you know what, I, yet that is not going to drive me away. We're going to work through those things. Because what I want you to have, and this is, the, this is the thing that I think Paul is getting to, is what God wants us to experience through that right relationship. Uh, it, there's kind of two byproducts that comes out of that. One is grace, and the other is hope. Grace to live through this life, letting, shedding ourselves of all of that guilt and that shame and the burdens of our own you know, this notion that we are wretched, let it go. You are, you, what you get is a lot of grace. What you get is a lot of space and time and love to become who God created you to become. And you know what? You're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way and that's not going to change anything. You get, to, you get to try and try again. And you get to experience it. And, and we live in that life-affirming grace. And what that means is that while the whole world is falling apart around us, we stand on the promises of God. And we stand as people who are experiencing God's loving, merciful grace. It says you are going to be okay. We can get through whatever is happening in this world, this sinful, shameful world, and where we make mistakes and we fall down, God says, don't let that stop you. Because we've got a lot of living to do. We've got a lot of world to transform. Amen? So we, we have this wonderful gift of, of strengthening grace. Grace that gives us the, the, the ability to love beyond our real capacity and the strength and courage to get through our life no matter how struggle, how overwhelming it can become. And it can. I understand. It can become overwhelming. But then the other byproduct of this is, a, is an incredible hope. A hope that helps us look 
to the future. And yes, a future where someday in the by and by we go and we are with God somewhere and things... My, my hope for uh, the... My hope for what happens after all of this is that God just brings it all together. That is, my, that is my hope for the future, that God just kind of brings it all together. And my hope is that when I, when I die, I go and I become a part of, of what, where God is. And the God that sustains me in this life will be the God that sustains me in the life to come. I don't get too hung up on that. Yes, that is our hope, but, but not only that, but hope that we can really make a difference and that the, the, the glory of God shines even in this world and it's there if we open our eyes to it. And what Paul talks to us about is a hope that, that is strengthened and sharpened and tested. He says, you know, we should boast in our sufferings because only when we are kind of tripping over ourselves and falling down, only when we are going through struggles, only when we aren't sure what to do, only when we have exhausted every possible way to manage ourselves and we finally, 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 finally decide to be humble enough to drop to our knees and go before God and say, help me. Only then does God's strength shine. Only then do we really experience the true gift what that hope offers us. Paul says those struggles, they teach you how to endure. And that endurance, by hanging in there, it offers you, it builds your character. A tested character. It means that you, you find yourself uh, better for the experience. And that character building experience promotes the hope inside of you. And that hope never disappoints. That hope is like gold. That hope that so many in the world around us need right now. How many, how many young people right now are taking their lives because someone has convinced them that because of their sexuality or their gender identity or because they just don't know who they are anymore, that someone has convinced them that God doesn't love them, that nobody here loves them. What they need is hope. What they need is that hope that's born out of that love that's poured into us. This is what Paul says. That love that is poured into us through the Holy Spirit that never disappoints, that always points us toward light and life and wholeness. Paul is longing for us to take these gifts, this gift of grace that sustains us now and the hope that gets us into the future, that keeps us going. That helps us look forward to something better. Paul begs us to hang on to these two byproducts. Because that is what is going to transform us. That is what is going to transform this hurt and broken world around us. And we are challenged. We're challenged every day. Every time I look on the news or God help us Facebook. You know what? Stay off of Facebook for a while. 
It, it, it's just, it really sucks the hope out of you, doesn't it? Sometimes the, the horrible, awful things that you see on there and what Paul wants us to know is no, that you need to hang on to that hope in the face of the ugliness around us. What we have is hope that things can be better than they are today. Christ represents that. The resurrection declares it to us. And we are challenged to have the audacity, the, the chutzpah, to hold on to hope against all that challenges us in the future. And I promise, I promise that if we gather up that hope, and if we play that one string left on our heart for all the world to hear, that pretty soon others will join us. We will have a cacophony of hope and grace and love. Let us pray. Loving, gracious God, God of hope, God of grace, God of peace, God who loves us beyond our understanding, may we hear the words of Paul and allow our difficulties and our struggling build within us endurance. And may that endurance build our character. And may that character yield to hope that does not disappoint. May we find our hope blossoming out of the love that you pour into our hearts. We ask all this in the precious name of Christ. There is a song in your bulletin.